electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, cyber attacks are ramping up, but so is the government's response. White House cyber advisor Ann Neuberger says she needs the private sector's help. There's a small number of high-impact cybersecurity steps that every company must take. And if those steps are taken, it's far less likely that a ransomware attack will be successful. Hot Vax Summer, former FDA chief Scott Gottlieb weighs in. The combination of the protective immunity that people have through vaccination combined with the fact that prevalence is very low, I think people can feel reasonably assured through the summer. Those stories plus a coordinated global tax rate. It's like when someone tells you, hey, take your pants off and then I'll take mine off. You know, let's do that, right? And then you take it off and he goes, ah! And Bezos blasting off on his Blue Origin's first space mission. It's a risk. Uh, yeah, it's a risk. It's a We're going risk. up in a, on the first flight. I would love to do it, but I don't want to be the first. It's Monday, June 7th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. First up today on the podcast, two market themes to keep an eye on. And no, neither is a meme stock. The first, optimism. Friday's jobs report showed the unemployment rate dropping to 5.8%, with a little more than 550,000 jobs created in the month of May. That's okay. It's not a rip-roaring success, but it's not bad enough news to worry investors about the economy's ongoing reopening this summer as we try to leave the depths of the COVID pandemic behind us. Second, inflation is the key data to watch this week. May's consumer price index will be released Thursday. In April, the CPI rose more than 4% from the previous year, the fastest rate since 2008. The Federal Reserve is in the early stages of tapering, thinking about tapering. That is reducing its $120 billion in monthly asset purchases, a program designed last spring to stimulate the economy. But if consumer prices continue to rise, it could hasten the Fed stepping back from easy money policies. AAA, gallon of gas. Andrew, this is for you. Yep. How much do you think it's up at this point from a year ago? On a percentage basis? On a percentage basis. Well, now we're like, uh, in some places I'm seeing close to $4. So 304 is the national average. Well, but it, where I am, it's, I don't I must be going to the wrong gas station then. Upper it's, West Side one? Up, upper West Side is, <laughs> yeah, it's like 396 or something. Right. There's a headline, it was $7, I forget which state, but there's some state where it's $7 a gallon. It's up 53% from a year ago on a national average. So you're watching that. Also, the reason Devon Energy is in here, it was the top performer that we saw last week in the S&P 500. It was up by 19% for the week. Devon Energy. Marathon Oil up 16%. Chevron was the second highest performer in the Dow. It was up by about 4.5% for the week, second only to Goldman Sachs. Milk. Um, And then milk. Um, There are some things that are dropping. No, this is regular milk, real milk. It was down 8%. 
uh, eight and three quarters percent for the week to date last week. So there are still some commodities that are coming down in price. Um, it's still up for the year to date by about nine and a half percent. It's from a lactating mammal. I'm yes. glad that I get reminded of that all the time. That uh, unless it's coming from a lactating mammal, you're so comfortable really with that. Yeah, I am. I, 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 but one time, why, do you why are you mentioning? Why are you mentioning when I threw even, my breast milk at you? <laughs> why are you mentioning either food or energy when neither one matters for inflation? Oh, you're right. Because average people don't pay for such things. Exactly. Just ignore those things. What does go up that matters then? Lumber. <laughs> you love those. Copper. We could fit a lot of board feet in here. I found. I out. think lumber and copper were actually lower last week too. Lumber and copper. Lower. Yeah. But milk was the biggest decliner. Yes. Now, this is only anecdotal, but we order, you know, my son loves Domino's. It's going to be at least an hour. We can't get drivers. I go, you're kidding me. And he goes, no one will work because they make more money. And I go, come on. Did you, uh, do you I watch CNBC? On do you watch CNBC and you're saying that just to, just to nudge me? To, and he goes, what, and what do you mean? No. What is CNBC? And it's just the normal guy there. He goes, no, I can't get yeah, any drivers because they're hour and a half wait for our for our if if we if we had delivery done on friday night so we went and picked it up no it's a real issue it's why you can't get a taxi in new york it's why you can't there's so many different things you can't get absolutely and for some reason we're so hesitant to say someone would actually do that because we don't want to imply anyone doesn't have a great work ethic but any normal let's you know you make a lot of money let's say you can make 20 percent more and you stay up in connecticut what are you going to do you know how much I love my job, though. <laughs> you do. You know I would do this. I don't want to say for free. Rick All right, maybe I would. Thing. They're not lazy. They're rational actors. Rational actors. Let's talk about taxes. I wonder whether you guys think this is rational acting or not, because new over the weekend, the finance ministers of the G7 group countries have backed a U.S. proposal that calls for corporations to pay at least a 15 percent tax on earnings if finalized and provide momentum for upcoming talks uh, planned with 135 different countries in Paris. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen praising the move as significant and unprecedented tweeting that the, quote, global minimum tax would end the race to the bottom in corporate taxation and ensure fairness for the middle class and working people in the U.S. and around the world. The Wall Street Journal's editorial board took a very critical view, though, of that announcement, calling it Yellen's global tax surrender and arguing that U.S. workers, consumers, and shareholders will end up paying for that new tax. If it passes. If it passes. The bigger issue is not necessarily all these other countries, though there are issues in all these other countries, but actually whether... It would be approved here because the 15 percent minimum tax here would be a real thing, too. It's not, it wouldn't be just right. everywhere else. I'm actually surprised that they were able to get the G7 unto itself to agree, though not completely but it surprised. It doesn't mean anything. And, and it, it's not binding. And it's, it's like herding cats. And they're saying that no they're one else gonna is going to sign on until they know right. what our Congress. Exactly. It really is based on what our Congress is going to do. Right. So if nobody else does it and then whoever does it first, you know, it's like uh, it's like when someone tells you, hey, Take your pants off, and then I'll take mine off. You know, let's do that, right? And then you take it off, and he goes, ah, Does that happen? You, uh, you no, it's never, no one's ever done that to I mean, me. I, but it's the same. how it happens. <laughs> but it's the same kind of thing. Hey, if you do it, I'll do it. And then you do it, and everybody's pointing oh, wait, at you and you laughing. And, and then I'll yeah, do it. Oh, yeah, wait, I don't have do, any pants on. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think that's what it's like. 
And then it would hurt the revenue would be hurt at the at the country. That, well, look, that, the other thing that this is trying to deal with is the idea that all of these European countries are already coming after our uh, big tech giants right. for for a lot of money. Anyway, they're doing a digital tax on all of these com- companies. Right. So this is our way to get back at the LVMHs. If you want to take oh, a right. share of their biggest companies, too. We're just going to make sure it's fair. Janet says we're going to make sure it's fair. Nobody ever defines it for me. What fair is? I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm vulnerable today. It's Monday, and I'm feeling vulnerable. What, and what you're is, not wearing pants. But what <laughs> is the right? No, but really, what is I the right don't know. answer? I don't know exactly. The race to the bottom is probably a real thing because I'd go, thing. I'd go to zero uh, on I, ours because right. I want our corporations to do best right. globally, and, and you know, then everybody else would, and then you get no money from corporations. You just got to do the individuals, because eventually, I think that's where it ends up when you do it to corporations anyway. So just do it. Just do it on the, the people. If you want to do the... So what number are you going to go to? So, but hold on. We've also had conversations with Leon Cooperman and others about what, philosophically what's fair on the I individual. I think everyone should pay. I'm ready, I'm ready to do 50% total. 50% for everybody. everything, local and state. Yeah. Max, as, as right. your top max. I'll work till okay. June 31st. But, but let's recognize 30, that 50% 30 is lower than where we are today. Yes. I know, yes. for, for us, but not for people that are paying, you know, the same as their secretary, blah, blah, blah. All the people that have made money o- over the right. years. And are Why not don't they just do a real AMT that actually has teeth and do that for right. the wealthiest individuals? Like, if, if that kicks back in. My man, Max, uh, I, I was going to, I want you to ask him. This is uh, Max, I under son, who I want to spend the weekend oh. at, at my house, because we're yes. like simpatico. He's a big right winger. Anyway. This uh, is Max Sorkin, my Max son. Max Sorkin. Yes. I want you to tell him, Max, yeah. what would you think of a system where you work your ass off from January to mid-July? Right. Or oh, late no, we've July. We've had this conversation with him. And tell him, you, oh, you no. work for the government till mid-July or late July, no, no, we, and then you get to keep whatever you make after that. What would he say to that? He would say, he would say Dad. This, he would say it makes no sense. It's, do something. Say, then say why don't you help? Then why don't you do something then? Does he, is he disappointed in you? Very. <laughs> this is rebellious stage. Max, this is, Max, is, is, Max and Joe are like completely, they could, I, I they say, could finish you want to hang out? <laughs> yeah. I got a pool. I got a pool. I mean, he should this hang weekend, out. we were talking about real estate and how they wouldn't, uh, how there are restrictions on, you know, how big uh, a house someone could build or how high it can be. And he said, Dad, I don't understand. He said, if it's my property, it's my property. Shouldn't oh we be able God. to do whatever we want with the property? And I thought to myself, I mean, right? You guys could, it would be. I mean, they were twins, you sure right? You don't related? need to do a paternity right. test, right? I mean, twins can't be, uh, I mean, that really, uh, it, it looks like he's yours. He is. Uh, he is. He's mine. Maybe Very he started watching too. this show early, and I'm his favorite. <laughs> you, you might be. Oh, this, I'm going to read We it. have a show to do. Okay. France uh, reopens to vaccinated tourists on Wednesday. Americans will need to, to show a negative COVID test. What, do we have a decent vaccine proof thing yet? We don't. We just got little cardboard little things, card. don't, don't we, that, that anyone could... Well, Andrew has the passport. New York real. figured it out. By the way, so I didn't realize that app is, uh, was created effectively by the folks at IBM, and they were trying to use that app to try to do it nationally, and I'm hoping still that they do. It's amazing. But it's still only for New York right now? Still only for New York right now. And they just happen to have all the data from all the process? Like, how do you prove? You just put your batch number in? or No. So you, they, it, they do a quit quiz. Do you know how we, have you ever gotten like a, a credit score quiz or someone's trying to figure out if you are yeah. actually you, and they ask you, like, is this really is this your, your address? address? Which one? Yeah. Right. So they say... What date did you have it on? 
and they give you five adri- five dates. You get the date right. Yeah. Uh, which one did you take? What time was your appointment at? Huh. This, the, oh my and gosh, then, I'm not sure I remember. What time was your appointment? appointment? That might have been a question. No, Any- not at. What time was your appointment? Oh. Thank you for the grammar police is here. Yes. <laughs> before the pandemic, tours. Before, before, before the pandemic, tourism made up about 10% of France's GDP. It's one of the most popular European destinations for Americans, obviously, with nearly uh, 5 million uh, visiting in 2019. But anecdotally, I just heard they're, they're putting the gates back up, right? It's tougher to get into France. Right. Somebody just heard from somebody here who's supposed to go. And I feel like when I go back there, I have a much better feel for everything after watching Call My Agent and just... Knowing now what knowing what all the French stuff means, uh, you know, actually following along, and I hear a lot of words no that I Stone recognize. Huh? No Rosetta Stone for you. And if, if, you've watched it. I have. Have you ever heard that campy Jerry Lewis like French music they play once in a while when yep. there's something funny happening? I mean, I, I just I feel really like a francophile now. I feel like I can go there and and have a whole new understanding. You'll blend. Everything that's, for you. that's good. You'll blend. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to blend right in. I got my outfit ready yeah. to go. Socks with Birkenstock uh, shoes, obviously, I'm going to wear. Um, with your shorts. What do you call those? Cargo t-shirts? shorts. Cargo sh- I do have three different. I got new ones. All right. You been cleared for those? Cargo shorts? Yeah, from the wife. No. Uh, is, there a new, is there a new kind of cargo short that's now allowable? I thought you liked them, but you were I love cleared, them, but, but I'm you're not cleared not for allowable them. allowable in my, my household, unfortunately. We were walking around a park yesterday, and I didn't. She went early, so I didn't know where she was. And it's a mile long, and she goes, "I saw an old guy running in cargo shorts in front of me." And she goes, "I came up, and I couldn't believe it was you." Are you not allowed to run in cargo? Just jog a little, like very the old, slowly. Like Abercrombie cargo short. What kind of cargo short are we talking about? These are, I think, Ralph Lauren. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I got like three different colors, and it's, that's For you. That's what I wear. I can't really button them, uh, but I will be able to. Next on Squawk Pod, ground control to Major Jeff, Bezos heading to space. Maybe it's not as reckless as it sounds. We've been putting rockets into orbit for a long time. And the U.S. government is stepping in on cybersecurity for corporate America. Anne Neuberger is Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber and Emerging Technology. The government has, in some cases, limited visibility on the breadth of ransomware. And we need that visibility in order to devise effective policies to disrupt ransomware and disrupt the ransomware ecosystem. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Stand Andrew by. This Three, is Squawk Pod. Two, one, two, Andrew. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Jeff Bezos says he's going to space. Yes, you heard it correctly. Uh, would be historic if it happens. Bezos' spaceflight company, Blue Origin, announcing that Jeff Bezos, along with his brother, Mark, will join the winner of an auction in the company's first human flight. It's going to happen on July 20th. Um, the highest bid, by the way, on that auction uh, was up uh, $2.8 million is what it cost. But, um, I wonder if the price tag goes up as they announce. I don't know. To think about, too. he is now 
probably he's the richest, if not one of the richest people in the world, ostensibly one of the most influential people in the world, who runs one of the most influential, important companies in the world, and he's going to space. You're looking at uh, Amazon stock off slightly, um, presents a new risk to the company. I hate to say risk because I, I hope it all goes perfectly uh, and very well, but I don't think people were necessarily planning on Jeff Bezos jumping on a rocket, but he's planning to do it. It's a risk. Uh, yeah, it's a risk. It's a real going risk. Going up in a, the, for, on the first flight, so. To go on the first we flight. All, of course we all wish him well and, and hope that it works out, but there's definitely for shareholders you'd have to think, I don't, it's kind of, is it, it, maybe it's not as reckless as it sounds because we, we have, we have seen, you know, lately to, to the International Space Station, yep. it seems like they've got, they've got it down. And, and some of the mishaps in the past, that, that crazy shuttle was, there were so many things, so many moving parts. These seem like they've really stripped it down to something very basic on how, on how we're doing this now. And, and we've been putting rockets into orbit I was gonna say, is for it a long orbit time. Is it just orbit and come back down? Or what, what is the flight? Is it? I don't know enough about this Blue either, Origin but, flight. But I think they have... The technology, obviously, has got to be how much better than when, you know, John Glenn was sitting there just going, yeah, I hope I'm going to see my family. I mean, those guys, they were a different breed. Uh, Chuck Yeager, all those guys back then to sit on top of that, light that candle. You know, when you send up a monkey, he's like, well, this is a nice place. You know, it seems like an okay spot, but he has no idea, unless he's a really smart, (laughs) really smart one. He has no idea what he's in for, but men... And women know exactly what, what they're on top of. And I, I, I'm, I'm not bidding on that auction. I know you have pretended to want to bid on that auction. I, I don't know when well, push came. I would love came. to do it, but I don't want to be the first. What, what do you want to be, the millionth? I would the thousands, <laughs> maybe, in the thousands. Richard Branson, when we asked him, same thing, said he was not going up on the first flight for Virgin. So he's not CEO, but I've said it doesn't matter that he's not he's CEO. He's still a huge presence, I would think, too. Following a growing number of recent cyber attacks, including the solar winds breach and the Colonial Pipeline, also JBS hacks, the White House is now urging businesses to step up their digital defenses. In a recent memo, Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber and Emerging Technologies Ann Newberger wrote, executives should immediately convene their leadership teams to discuss the ransomware threat and review corporate security posture and business continuity plans to ensure you have the ability to continue or quickly restore operations. The National Security Council's Ann Newberger joins us right now. And Ann, I have heard uh, this compared to the other pandemic we are dealing with right now, cyber attacks. Just how bad have things gotten? Certainly, we've seen an increase in ransomware over the last few years, driven by the rise in use of cryptocurrency and certainly companies' movements to allow employees to telework, which opened up various gaps in their information technology. So we've seen a rise in ransomware, both in the number and the intensity of the attacks. And it's why the administration is so committed to working with international partners and the private sector to address it. At this point, the government has said, the White House has has said that businesses have a distinct and key responsibility to step up their systems. Do you think these attacks are happening because businesses are lax with these things? Or is it because the United States hasn't done enough to push back against nations like Russia and China that are harboring some of these cyber attackers? To really address the ecosystem of ransomware takes a partnership between the private sector and the government. You know, much as we say the in our own lives from a security perspective, we have locks on our doors, we have alarm systems, as well as a police force. We need the private sector to ensure that their cybersecurity defenses are adequate to meet the threat. 
And on the administration side, we're committed to working with our international partners and with the private sector on a four-part ransomware strategy, disrupting the ransomware ecosystem, building international coalition to hold countries who harbor ransomware actors accountable, addressing cryptocurrency, which has enabled a, a significant rise in the use of ransomware, and then, of course, putting in place coherent and thoughtful ransom policies that really disrupt the ongoing ecosystem in the long term. A lot of businesses do spend quite a bit of money on cyber protection, though. The recent attacks that we've seen, let's say Colonial Pipeline, JBS, are those because those companies didn't do enough? The first step in any successful ransomware attack is finding vulnerabilities that can be compromised in order to enable encrypting the system. So a part of the letter we issued was to say there's a small number of high-impact cybersecurity steps that every company must take. And if those steps are taken, it's far less likely that a ransomware attack will be successful against that company. I'm just asking, though, is this something that basically says the companies that are being attacked should be shamed because they didn't do those very basic things you're talking about? It's certainly something that says that we can learn lessons from successful ransomware attacks to ensure that every company has the adequate defenses. And I think the first question every company should ask themselves, if they're compromised and even better well before is, are each of the steps we outlined in that note in place? Is there multi-factor authentication in place? Because we see so many compromises happening through reuse of passwords, through spear phishing an individual user, and that is what's happened in a number of successful ransomware attacks. And that's really the reason that we did that call to action of CEOs. Rather than name and shame, we want to be proactive and call on CEOs and say, let's end this scourge of ransomware together. We as the administration are focused on the things we can do, but we cannot be successful without the partnership of the private sector. And this is specifically what we need the private sector to do. And can we talk a little bit about crypto and how you think about it? Because clearly Janet Yellen is thinking about this. Gary Gensler at the SEC is thinking about this. Uh, proponents of, of Bitcoin and crypto say, look, actually, it's more traceable uh, than cash. Um, critics say, absolutely not. Look at what's happening right now with ransomware. It wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for crypto. So what do you do? Really thoughtful in the way you outline that. So there are specific aspects of crypto that have enabled the rise of ransomware. A, it's an international currency. B, it is, while the blockchain is public, it is difficult to trace, particularly anonymity-enhancing cryptocurrencies like Monero. And, and finally, around the world, there is far less regulation than there is in place for traditional currencies. In the United States, for example, there are rules around know your customer for crypto exchanges, and Treasury's FATF has really been working around the world to ensure those know your customer rules are in place for other cryptocurrency exchanges as well. So it's a bit of both exactly as you outlined. There is a, a lot that cryptocurrency can engender regarding innovation. It's also a key reason for the rise of ransomware, and it's why one of the four lines of effort in the administration's ransomware strategy is working with international partners to ensure there is the right oversight in place to, um, to track cryptocurrency and ensure it isn't the, an easy tool for criminals to use for ransomware and but, for a host of other ways to evade oversight. But is, is there a way for, a bit, for Bitcoin, for example, to be successful as something that's both completely trackable and traceable and isn't anonymous and yet is still Bitcoin? Because so many of the quote-unquote virtues that the proponents of Bitcoin talk about seem to also be the downsides. As with so many areas of technology, we need innovation 
And we also need the security aspect. It doesn't serve any of our interests to have a currency that can enable not only ransomware, but trafficking in weapons and people and other criminal uses. So we believe that it is possible to have the innovation of cryptocurrency with the adequate oversight. And I gave a couple of examples so that we can ensure that it isn't used quickly and internationally by criminals. And uh, I know the official government policy has always been that uh, companies should not pay these ransoms when, when and if they get attacked. Obviously, prevention is a much better way about going, uh, going about this. But when you think of it realistically, if a company has had all of its systems taken away, what alternative do they have? I'm thinking especially of the colonial pipeline. If, if they had said, forget it, we're going to find our own way to do this, and it had continued to cripple the East Coast and, and had, had people out of gas for uh, even longer periods of time, I can't imagine what would have happened. Were, would you honestly have told Colonial Pipeline not to pay the ransom? You know, you hit at the crux of why our ransom policy review is underway. It's one of our key areas of strategy because in the long term, payment of ransom drives the increase of ransomware. That's undoubtedly true. However, there's a period where we're asking companies to put in place the resilience so that they're not in the uncomfortable spot you just outlined, that companies may be where they, their networks are encrypted, they don't have backups, so they have difficulty recovering, and they look at the options, and payment of a ransom looks to be an attractive option. So certainly we know that payment of ransoms drives the rise of, of ransomware, and that's the reason where the U.S. government's official position, the FBI, strongly discourages the payment of ransom. What we want to look at is say, what needs to be the government policy that really disrupts the ransomware business ecosystem, while also understanding and driving and encouraging companies to put the resilience in place so that they're not in the difficult position you just outlined. Hey, Anne, what percentage of ransomware efforts do you think that the government is aware of? Meaning, how often do you think companies are being pursued in a ransomware attack and the companies are deciding to settle it privately, paying the ransom, and not only paying the ransom, but not necessarily calling you? Over the last number of weeks, we've talked to quite a number of companies and individuals across the ransomware ecosystem, insurance companies, to understand the role of insurance and insurance payouts, individuals who sometimes negotiate with uh, ransomware actors. Because to your point, we were seeing that the government has, in some cases, limited visibility on the breadth of ransomware, and we need that visibility in order to devise effective policies to disrupt ransomware and disrupt the ransomware ecosystem. But do you think so you're seeing 10 percent of it, or do you think you're seeing 90 percent of it? From those discussions, I think we see far less than we need to, to really understand um, the scope of ransomware. And that's why we've been having these conversations with other entities to piece together the full picture so that the review that the Biden administration is doing now to effectively devise policies to disrupt right. the ransomware ecosystem is as effective as we need it to be. And, and we've heard anecdotally that there are companies that are putting Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies on their balance sheet, not uh, as an investment or as a treasury, but almost as an insurance policy if and when there is a ransomware attempt so that they could then uh, pay it off if they have to. Are you hearing the same thing? That is really troubling to hear. We ha I have not heard that, but that's troubling to hear, and it underscores why we need the international partnership, the partnership with the private sector to attack this issue with urgency. That is really troubling to hear. And I want to thank you for your time today. Thank you both so much. 
Coming up on Squawk Pod, getting the jab and getting back out there. Will the U.S. hit the White House's 70% vaccination goal by the 4th of July? Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former head of the FDA. I think what we're going to see is vaccinations are going to fall off sharply in the summer. And then they're going to pick back up towards the end of August and into September as people contemplate going back to work and back to school. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Joe Kernan. Golfer John Rahm finishing the third round of the Memorial Jacks Tournament uh, in Columbus Saturday with a six-stroke lead, but didn't compete in the final round yesterday. Before he could get to the clubhouse to sign his scorecard, officials stopped him to tell him he had tested positive for COVID-19 and would have to withdraw from the tournament. Rahm was devastated, visibly, to hear the news. In a statement released afterward, the PGA uh, says that Rahm had been subject to uh, contact tracing protocols uh, since last Monday, or since Monday of last week, uh, he had elected to stay in the tournament and tested negative every day until Friday, uh, when his most recent test followed. Uh, then the second round uh, was performed, and then, according to the PGA, uh, Rom is the first positive asymptomatic case uh, of the tour's uh, routine contact tracing protocols. First time it's happened. I we, cry. It's weird. Been, honestly, that's it's just, just weird with a six-stroke lead, which, well, I couldn't hold a six-stroke lead, but they, I'm, I'm sure he could have won that. Turn. And it's a real, it's not a major, but people love winning the Jacks tournaments, great course and everything else. It's just it, to have that taken away when you're playing so well. And right. Right there. They'll have plenty how more often do you think this is going to happen now? I don't know. He, he was vaccinated, too. No, so I know. That's the point. There's going to be lots. I actually think there's probably lots of vaccinated people out there. That are asymptomatic. Probably. I, I didn't believe that until the Yankees stuff. I mean, when you start right. hearing about that and when it kind of picks up like that, and we haven't heard anything else since. Good reason to get vaccinated, another, right. another one. But then, are but then it gonna... worries you about if you have kids at home, like especially anybody who's at high risk. Who's That's, not vaccinated. Who's, right. Kids aren't. And then are there, there going to be regular testing? Right. I mean, most, most employers now are no longer, nobody's really doing testing anymore because the view is you're going to walk in with your, with your vaccine card or whatever your, your right. app is and the whole thing's very complicated. Hopefully by early fall, they have they have vaccines, vaccines for kids and everything else. Yeah. Exactly. In fact, the latest data shows that the United States is averaging fewer than a million shots a day. And every single state is at least two thirds below its peak vaccination rate. The South and the Midwest are seeing less than 15 daily shots for every 10,000 residents. Joining us right now is Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He's the former FDA commissioner and a CNBC contributor who serves on the boards of both Pfizer and Illumina. His new book, Uncontrolled Spread, Why COVID-19 Crushed Us and How We Can Defeat the Next Pandemic, debuts in September. Um, Dr. Gottlieb, let's talk about this. I, I thought that was a typo when I first saw it, that there are 10 shots, or I'm sorry, 15 shots for every 10,000 people in some states at this point. Is that a bigger collapse than you'd even anticipated in terms of demand? I actually don't think so. I think that this should have been expected and was by many of us. Um, vaccination rates are going to fall off quite sharply as in July and August. The bottom line is people who haven't been vaccinated by at this point 
are more marginal customers for vaccination. They might be younger people, people who are healthy, who don't feel as at risk. I think what we're going to see is vaccinations are going to fall off sharply in the summer, probably July and August. And then they're going to pick back up towards the end of August and into September as people contemplate going back to work and back to school. People will want to get vaccinated. People who haven't been vaccinated will want to get vaccinated before they return to work. But the prevalence is going to be very low this summer. People are going to be looking around. People will be outside. There won't be a lot of coronavirus. So if you haven't gotten vaccinated at this point, there's not going to be a lot of motivation to get vaccinated in the middle of August when things feel pretty good. I think people are going to get vaccinated when they go back to work in the fall, probably when they pick up their flu vaccine. Hopefully, CDC will give guidance that allows the coronavirus vaccine to be administered alongside the flu vaccine. I think we'll, we'll do better. I think we're going to pick up more people in terms of getting the population vaccinated. But it's not going to be in July and August. I think the administration's pushing hard to hit its goal by July 4th. Hopefully they'll hit it, and then it's going to slow down quite a bit after that. It, 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 it's not a huge reason to be concerned, though, because the prevalence is going to be so low this summer. As long as people get vaccinated in the fall, you think it's okay? Look, it's not great. I'd like to see more people vaccinated, but we've hit a pretty high level of the American population vaccinated. We have to remember that a lot of people who have been vaccinated have been infected. We know statistically at least a third of them have been infected, and I think we're, it's probably overrepresented in that population. There's probably more people in the unvaccinated pool that have been infected by the virus than in the general population, because a lot of people are choosing to go unvaccinated at this point because they know they've been infected. So we have a lot of immunity in the population. We'll pick up a little more. We probably will get close to the goal the administration set of getting 70 percent of adults vaccinated by July 4th. We're probably going to pick up more teenagers as they contemplate summer jobs and need to get vaccinated for those summer jobs. So, you know, we'll get maybe 65 percent of the public vaccinated in all before the summer sets in. And then it's going to be slow. We'll pick up a little bit through the summer and then we'll pick up another bolus heading into the fall. I think it's going to be OK, given the fact that we have a lot of protective immunity in the population and prevalence levels are low. I don't think that this is going to mean that there's going to be a resurgence in coronavirus over the summer. I'd like to see 10 percent more of the public vaccinated. I don't think we're going to get that. Um, but we're in a pretty good place right now. What's the latest research just in terms of when people are going to need these booster shots that have been so talked about? Do you feel safe if you if you've had this less than a year ago, the, the, your vaccine? Yeah, look, I think you could feel safe through this summer. And the, the effectiveness of the vaccine also correlates with the prevalence of the virus. So how effective the vaccine is also correlates with how likely you are to come into contact with the virus. And a combination of the protective immunity that people have through vaccination, even if it's declining over time, combined with the fact that prevalence is very low, I think people can feel reasonably assured through the summer. I think as we get into the fall, we're going to have to look at giving especially the vulnerable population um, boosters. I think there will be some continued discussion around that, particularly once we get past this July 4th deadline that the administration said. I think that you're going to see more active discussion around boosters in the fall, particularly for the elderly population. And the other point here is that the variants that we're seeing now, the 617 variant in particular, where we're seeing some resurgence in the United Kingdom, um, that further suggests that the boosters may be important, because what we're seeing is that people who've had one dose of vaccine aren't really protected against that variant. But once you get two doses, you have a pretty reasonable degree of protection against that variant. So it suggests that the declining effectiveness of vaccines may be more of an issue for some of these variants. And that may be another reason why we lean in the direction of boosters, particularly for older, the older population. Hey, doctor, um, we saw this John Rom news over the weekend. Um, he tested positive. We don't know whether he we think he had the vaccine. But um, do you think there's a high prevalence of, of people who've had the vaccine who are now walking around with asymptomatic cases of covid and not getting tested? And does that matter? 
I don't. I mean, my understanding is he hadn't completed the vaccine series and he had only had the um, shot recently ahead of that tournament. So but I'm not my my facts may be wrong there. I think what the evidence is showing is that people who've been vaccinated are far less likely to get infected. And even when they become asymptomatically infected, they're far less likely to transmit the infection. We, we haven't fully quantified that, but the magnitude of it does seem to be quite profound. And that, in fact, was the basis of the CDC's new guidance saying that people who've been fully vaccinated don't need to wear masks. If you sort of dig beneath that recommendation, what they were saying was that they've determined that people who are fully vaccinated, even if they get asymptomatically infected, they're far less likely to shed virus, and therefore they don't need to wear masks to protect others around them either. Um, so I think we, we can be reasonably assured that if you've been fully vaccinated, you're going to be less likely to transmit the infection. Now, if you're going into a very high-risk setting and you've been exposed to the virus, should you still be mindful? I think yeah. you should, and I am. When, you know, when I go into a medical setting, certainly, I still do wear a mask. Doctor, there's a, I don't know, the sports reporters are saying that there, there's some evidence that he hit, maybe got one shot recently and didn't do it immediately. And that's why they're sort of faulting him. He lives in Arizona. He could have done it a while ago. So uh, but did you read the, the piece in the journal from those, uh, the, the, the two scientists talking about CGG dash CGG? You, you were able to read that. That it's gets a little arcane. We don't have a lot of time. But when you do gain of function research, that's how you make the spike protein work better to infect human cells. Very rare. To, it's never happened um, just naturally. And that's the way it's been done 11 yeah. times in the past. And, and, and the, those sequences are present in coronavirus. These guys say that definitively proves that it came out of the lab. Is there a way that it, it didn't prove that? Look, I, I think we've made a persistent mistake here um, looking at the sequence and trying to derive all our conclusions from the sequence. Early on, they looked at the sequence. It looked suspicious. They thought that this could have come out of a lab. They looked more closely at it. They reassured themselves that the sequence, in fact, didn't look suspicious. And a lot of scientists are still looking at the sequence and saying, look, it doesn't look that unusual. Therefore, it didn't come out of a lab. Some others are saying, well, in fact, it does look unusual, and therefore it did come out of a lab. We're 18 months into this, and we have a lot of other evidence that points that it could have come out of lab, including, I think, the single biggest piece of evidence we have, which is the behavior of the Chinese government and what they've deliberately chose to withhold and what they've shared openly. The things that they've deliberately chosen to withhold, the evidence that they've withheld, is the, is the exact evidence that you would need to either um, implicate the lab or it would be exculpatory to the lab. And that's what they've chosen to withhold. So I think we have a lot more information now, 18 months later. The, the sequence of the virus itself is not the only thing that informs this picture. And that's why I think that's the trouble with looking at this through purely a scientific mosaic. When you look at it through a scientific mosaic, you focus on the sequence. When you look at it through a national security mosaic, you start to incorporate the other evidence that comes into play, including the behavior of the host government. Right. It'd just be weird because it, it, it codes for arginine, arginine, CGG. There's 35, 34 other ways with the genetic code to, to code for that. And, and to, for, to just have the same one that's been used by all the researchers in the past to accomplish the same thing with the spike protein, it's very strange that that, that would have happened. And it, it's also possible to go back and, and sort of cover your tracks, too. So I don't know what the end result's going to be, doctor, but uh, those two guys certainly seem, and they, they mentioned that it gained a lot of that quickly and, and that the variants didn't come about for, for like a year and be very weird to gain that uh, that functions so quickly. Did you, you, that was at the end of that piece. It's in the journal if anyone has, has an interest. But uh, as a, someone who knew about molecular biology, they, they act like it's definitive. But as you say... 
Well, look, I think the problem here is that the scientists on both sides of this debate are focusing just on the sequence alone. There's a lot of other details here that we should incorporate, including the infections around the lab. So I think we need to look at the broader mosaic here. Dr. Gottlieb, thank you. Thanks a lot. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern for grown-up, mature market and business commentary. One time, do you remember when I threw my breast milk at you? You can subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.